I mean, whether you want to hang out on the beach or whether you want to go to an art museum, I mean, there's absolutely everything. Some of the most famous artists in the world have come from Barcelona or lived there. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do all these things even in one day. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much to take from it. The crazy capital city of Barcelona offers white sandy beaches by day and glitzy dance clubs by night. This town has it all. Surreal modernist architecture, bustling markets with fresh local produce and seafood, and nightlife that pops off till sunrise. Barcelona is the capital of Catalonia, Spain's northeasternmost territory, and it's the region that borders France. So you got some very strong regional cultural pride, and I love diving into it. Get ready to soak in the culture and pick up some tips on living like a local from this fun conversation I had with my friend and fellow guide, Lauren Focas. Lauren's lived in Barcelona for some time now and has run our local weekend tours there for about a year. I can't wait to share this interview with you, but first, we're opening up a new part of the show where listeners send in, comment, and post their questions to us. This first round goes to Monique, who asks, what are the main travel apps that I use while traveling on the road? Well, Monique, there's no big secret or particularly special apps that I use, but here are a few of my favorite with some uh, thoughts on the side. As far as getting ideas as to where to get started when going to a new city, I love to use the basic apps like TripAdvisor and Yelp. Um, that's where I'll get ideas for the top sites to see, the most cliche touristy restaurants, the general idea of where the hottest neighborhoods and nightlife might be. And then I kind of combine that knowledge with an outgoing attitude and conversationalist approach to the people I meet while I'm in town. For example, right now I'm researching my guidebook here in Berlin. I'm kind of combing through Yelp and TripAdvisor to get some ideas on what might be new or what's what's going on here in town. But then what I'll do is I'll take those ideas and kind of filter them through the people I end up sitting next to at a bar or restaurant. To find cheap flights, I use Kayak, Skyscanner, Google Flights, as well as Hopper. Now those are four different apps. They do slightly different things, but you can set up flight alerts, you can check cheap flights out on the fly, and then when I do find the flight that I like, I'll book directly with that airline rather than going through any sort of middleman. In terms of transportation, I really like to download the local apps for each city. For example, I'll search Berlin Transportation or Dublin or London or Barcelona and inevitably come up with metro maps or tram route information, you name it. I organize all of my travel plans through an app called TripIt. Now that's also a website, TripIt.com, and you can sign up for a free account there. And then anytime you get your confirmation email from an airline or hotel, you can forward that email without anything else straight to plans at tripit.com and it will automatically populate your travel information. I'm talking about uh, confirmation codes, departure time, terminal, airline. It keeps it all in one place, easy to pull up, even without data and access offline. So TripIt is a great app that I use constantly while on the road. Shazam is another great app. So if I'm just hanging out in a bar or a lounge and I like the music that I'm hearing, I'll whip out Shazam, tap the button, and it'll tell me exactly what song is playing. That way I kind of pick up intangible souvenirs as I go uh, in the form of music that'll bring me back to that time and place. And it's so important to understand what's going on in the world as you travel along. For me, I stay up on my news via AP, NPR, BBC, CNN, and Google News. So I use those five apps to kind of stay up on all the different things that are happening around the world, and I'll use that if I'm in the States, Europe, or anywhere else. 
I hope you enjoyed those apps. Please feel free to submit any more questions each and every week to andysteves.com slash podcast or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash andystevestravel. All right, let's get back to Barcelona. Please let us know how you like the show with reviews and comments on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. Thank you. It's very much appreciated. I hope you enjoy this show and I got to say gracias. Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. Episode 7. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thanks, Andy. What I want to do, Lauren, is back up and talk about what led you to Barcelona in the first place. I want to, I want to get your background. Well, the whole Lauren story. <laughs> um, well, I'm from New Hampshire. Um, and basically, New Hampshire's an interesting place because, you know, you know our slogan? Is, yeah. Uh, live free or die. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty heavy duty. Yeah. Um, but for all that, there's actually not that much diversity there. And when I, when I turned 18, I decided I really wanted to be somewhere where, you know, I didn't know everybody. But I kind of had it set in my heart that I wanted to go to Spain. And then I knew someone in Barcelona. And I decided it was time to give it a try. And I'm so glad that I did because it's the best city in the world. I have definitely heard about and experienced the draw of Barcelona, like the magic of Barcelona. Is there a way that you can put that into words? Because in other cities, it was like, oh, I came here because of a job or a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. But in Barcelona, it's like people fall in love with the city. Barcelona is definitely something special um, for a lot of reasons. I mean... One, it's just literally beautiful. Mm. I mean, the architecture is unmatched, and especially that you get to see it almost every single day in the sun. I mean, Barcelona has more than 300 sunny days a year. Wow. So you get to, yeah, you get to spend almost every day enjoying it. Um, as well, I always say about Barcelona, it just has something for everyone. I mean, whether you want to talk about the Romans from 2,000 years ago, whether you want to go to the coolest club, whether you want to mm. hang out on the beach, or whether you want to go to an art museum, I mean, there's absolutely everything. Some of the most famous artists in the world have come from Barcelona or lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do all these things even in one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much to take from it, um, as well as the fact that it is such a metropolitan city and such a melting pot of people. I mean, I will walk up the street and I hear six languages in 10 minutes. And they've said that Barcelona is one of the most livable cities in the world, right? Like, that was a theme that kept coming up, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean... Financially, it's really reasonable. I mean, especially if you compare it to something like Paris or London or New York, you know, these other huge cities with all of these draws. It's nothing like that. You know, you can live for peanuts. And it's almost like it's almost like college in some way. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to meet new people. Everyone's mm-hmm. there to meet other people. So everyone's super friendly. So um, it has, it has yeah. a cool um, energy there to it, huh? Absolutely. I feel like as soon as you step off the plane, you can feel it. Catalans are, are very proud of their culture and heritage, aren't they? They are. They're fiercely They're proud very, of it. Very proud. Do you have any success stories of breaking through that that wall? I do actually. Um, I have a a friend who I met through like an, an intercambio, mm-hmm. um, which is a really really cool idea. Pretty much in any city, but in Barcelona, it works really well. Um, basically, you know, you go out to whether it be a coffee or a beer, you go to the park um, for an hour. You speak half an hour in English or your native language, and a half an hour in their native language, so Spanish. Um, for me, I didn't really attempt to learn Catalan because I was <laughs> still working on my Spanish. She ended up being a fantastic friend um, and took us out one time to her family house, which is outside of the city. Um, and we had a big Catalan barbecue. 
um, and I tried my best to keep up with their conversation. It's fewer and far between um, that you meet a Catalan person who will kind of take you back to their house and really involve you in their in their lives. Sure, sure. Now, when when it comes to showing our students around, I mean, you honestly sounded like one of the most fun guides we have. Everybody was talking about how much fun they would have in in Barcelona uh, with Lauren. So uh, I want to know the secret. I got to start getting those reviews myself. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Um, I guess I would say, I think of Barcelona as, I mean, it's, like we said, it's just this vibe, right? So even when you're walking around, it just feels happy. Everyone is either on vacation you know, or even the Catalans, everyone's pretty laid back, you know, I mean, this, they have siestas for a reason, and kind of every day is a holiday around there, so that gives me a hand up for sure, um, but I think that a huge part of being a guide is making sure that you, you know, everyone gets to enjoy their holiday, I mean, that's, that's why we travel, right, to so enjoy ourselves, um, and I think it's pretty easy, I don't know, <laughs> I think that Barcelona is certainly gives me a leg up on that one yeah well there's so many things i enjoy so much like the food the markets yeah. the people the paella of course um of course the nightlife you know if you were to think about like the three most striking pieces of architecture in the city what would uh, what would come to mind would you say well i guess i would kind of have to say areas more than pieces themselves because it really is such an immense effect i mean Barcelona as a city is actually kind of one of the, is actually the only city in the world that has won uh, the prize for architecture as a city, as opposed to as a building, mm -hmm. um, which is, personally, I, I love the Gothic Quarter, and it's not really modern, I mean, of course, um, but just kind of the differences in every single, you know, storefront or apartment building, you know, I mean, literally, they're from almost every year you can think of, Um as well as the fact that as you get outside the city, it just changes so drastically. Every single neighborhood in Barcelona has its own kind of vibe. Um, so, of course, I love the Gaudi pieces. I'm a, I'm a sucker for Gaudi. Um, when you walk up the Passage de Gracia, which is one of our main boulevards, and you see two of his pieces, um, they just stand out as something you always want to be looking at. Um, if anyone has ever been to Casa Vecchio, which is one of his most famous, famous houses, which is on Passage de Gracia, uh, you'll know people call it the Dr. C's house, and it just, you want to stare at it all day long. There's a, never enough time to look mm -hmm. at all the different pieces that he has. Mm -hmm. so. And the detail of the Sagrada Familia is just incredible, isn't it? Of course, yeah, I can never forget. Um, Sagrada Familia is unmatched. Um, the outside, of course, is just, it's unbelievable. Talk about detail, you can see every single thing that he thought of. I mean, one of the facades one side has more than 150 types of plants and animals like mm -hmm, obscene mm -hmm. obscene detail um mm -hmm. but then the inside is actually my favorite probably place in barcelona um everyone kind of gets upset maybe that it's cost to go into um but it's well worth it you go inside and you feel like you're inside a kaleidoscope do you know when um it's scheduled to be completed i do uh, 2026. We're very, very close. Oh my gosh, ten years. I gotta, I gotta last ten more years at least, so that I you can, can come and see the Sagrada Familia. I gotta do yeah. it. <laughs> I always say, like when I first went to Barcelona, whatever it was, five years ago as a tourist, someone told me, "Yeah, it'll be finished in about 15 years," and I was like, "You're dumb. There's no way we've been working on it for so long." Yeah. Um, but it's very true, and that's actually the 100-year anniversary of Daddy's death. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if you go to Barcelona, definitely see the Gothic Quarter, definitely see the Blanca Discord, definitely see 
Go to Sagrada Familia for sure. One of the things I really like about um, Barcelona is how experiential it is. Of course, you have uh, you know world class museums and architecture to see, but you can go on a hike up Montjuic. You can lay on the beach. You can um, go on food tours. You can try you know some of the most amazing seafood, fruit, uh, smoothies, sandwiches. All for for very affordably, and, and so I love how in Barcelona you can you can have a really good time without breaking the bank like it would cost in, in Paris or Amsterdam. No, absolutely, it's something that everyone always notices. I mean, at our market, you know, the big Bocaria, the most beautiful and biggest market in Spain, you can get fresh coconut, a whole container of it for a uh-huh. euro. I mean, that's just wow. unreal. Yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Did you have any visa issues where, when you were there? Did you fly under the radar? Were you official? What were you doing? Um, I did a few different things. My first time I went, I actually had a student visa. And then from there, I kind of just tried to do the three-month thing. However, I will say, don't try to go to the UK yeah. if you've in any way smudged your visa because they will get you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work out that no, and and they will come at you uh, even with Schengen Zone issues, even though they have nothing to do with Schengen Zone. I've I've been in the back room at Schiphol Airport uh, for a little bit, and I was leaving Europe, coming back to Seattle. The uh, passport checker lady is just flipping through my passport, and then she's like, "My colleague will will help you now." And then this beefy, you know, Dutch border guard dude uh, comes out and says, "Follow me," and went back and. I had so many stamps in my passport that they had a really hard time deciphering what, how, how much I had overstayed. I had overstayed by a little bit, but they made a copy of my passport and let me go. So they, they do check in Northern Europe for sure. This episode is brought to you by Weekend Student Adventures. Book with us and you can experience Europe like a local. WSA offers three and 10 day trips for students and budget travelers of any age to Europe's most exciting cities. Just show up at the hostel and our local guides will take it from there. They love showing off what makes their city special and our itineraries hit up all the top sites and get you off the beaten path to experience the best parts of the local culture. You can go caving in Budapest, learn to cook paella in Barcelona, and take the Lenin Wall in Prague. We offer weekend guided tours in Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, Barcelona, Krakow, Budapest, Edinburgh, and Prague. We also have longer trips available for Ireland, Italy, and Central Europe. You can learn more at wsaeurope.com. That is wsaeurope.com. So can you share with us a little bit about uh, cost of living in Barcelona? Like I'm curious about average rental rates, you know, lunch, dinner, drinks, covers at clubs things like that just so hostel beds well barcelona is a huge locals city meaning that i mean i mean expats i mean catalans i mean anybody who's not a tourist you can get seriously cheap everywhere you know if you know the places to go um for example i mean i haven't played entry to a club in three years you know because you know somebody who knows somebody who can get you into something i mean but there's a line around opium for two hours if you're a tourist and you pay 30 euros, you know? Um, so it definitely is good to know people. Um, as far as rent goes, it's really cheap. Um, and you can go anywhere. I mean, you can live in a shoebox apartment. I had one down by the beach in Barcelona, uh, two bedrooms. 
and living room, bathroom and everything was probably the size of the bedroom I grew up in. <laughs> it was tiny, but it was about 585 euros a month. Wow, total? Yeah, total. Two people. Barceloneta as a neighborhood is actually really interesting because it's the neighborhood down by the beach. And you'd think, wow, like beachside apartment, that's amazing. However, it never used to be the beach. It used to be the port. And so these apartments were really, really gross. You know, you're up against all this machinery. So they were tiny and they were really cheap. Um, and now, of course, it's a great place to live. So people who are renting these apartments for nothing are airbnb them for a lot. And that's driving and, costs up. Yeah, it's a huge problem. Um, in fact, when I was living there, the police came to our door one time and said, hey, we heard you guys were foreigners. Is this Airbnb? And like checked my friend, my roommate's passport and the lease to make sure that it was under her name. So it's illegal down there. Wow. Yeah. And that was that was a long time ago. That was like more than three years ago. So, but um, it's still, people still do it, huh? People still do it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, in the Gothic and everything, I mean, I have friends who do it as a business. You mm -hmm. know, they have three Airbnbs. They run them and that's their whole life. Realistically, you're probably paying about 350 to 400 euros a month for a really nice room. Yeah. Yeah. That makes for, sense. For, for a place you really like. So how about food? Like uh, lunch and dinner out? So I love, about, what I love about Barcelona is this like cafe culture, which a lot of Europe has, of course, where you kind of just go and hang out, you know, you spend your whole day hanging out at this one place. Um, and, you know, so the cafe con leche will be about euro 50. Um, and you can sit at that table the whole day and just have one cafe if you want. They'll never kick you out. Um, if you want to get breakfast or lunch at, you know, just kind of a nice little place, whether it's just a few eggs or um con tomate or a little sandwich, uh, probably will never be more than seven euros. Um, that's like having a nice big sandwich, you know. Mm -hmm. If I if I bring a tenner out, that's like that'll cover me for sure. Sure. Man, my, my go to was always like uh yeah, those little um bocadillos. And you know, I'd get one jamon or chorizo con queso and then one uh omelette or um yep. yeah. Tortilla. Tortilla. And uh and that's just egg and potato just blended up, you know? Yeah, it's super good. Um, that's something I gotta be used to. Tortilla, I don't want a piece of tortilla. But yeah, it's 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 really what you want it to be. And there's what's great about Barcelona is that they have, like we said, like tapas, you know, just kind of little bocadillos or little things to eat. So it's kind of nice. You maybe will wake up in the morning, go out with your friend and have, you know, a coffee. And then you can just literally walk across town to meet another friend to get a bocadillo. Mm -hmm, and then you mm -hmm. can walk across town again to meet <laughs> another friend, get another bocadillo. <laughs> it's like you spend your whole day walking between eating. Can you tell us going to about um, tapas and tapas culture? It started actually not in Barcelona. Um, it started in Madrid. Um, the idea kind of that if you were going to be drinking, you should be eating, mm -hmm. right? So you don't get too drunk. So they serve little beers with little um, bites to eat. Um, and it kind of just became this kind of more like a family style. Um, so if me and my friends will go out to tapas, you try to eat, order one and a half tapas per person. Mm -hmm. So the idea is kind of maybe if there's two of you, you sit down, you order three things. Um, and there's some really typical ones, of course, like tortilla, pan con tomate. Uh, they love calamari, of course, and mussels and all types of seafood. Um, but as well, there's some places that are pretty modern these days that are doing some really kind of interesting ones as well. I mean, Barcelona is definitely growing as a bit of a, a bit of a more hipster city. So they try to like take different kind of takes on the top of Try to do a modern twist on, on uh, something that's classic, huh? On classics. Yeah. I don't know how really you change that much bread with tomato and salt. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but those are the key ingredients and it's so good. So many options. I'm, I'm getting hungry. I, uh, I, I want to go back. 
talk to us about the timeline of a normal day for a Catalan uh, in Barcelona. It kind of depends. Um, it's really family oriented. So I'll kind of take the view of a family. Um, basically, you know, the family will wake up, probably the dad will leave the house for work, you know, around eight-ish. Um, the kids will go to school at about nine. Um, all kids have a very long lunch and most family members do too. Um, so whether it be from 1230 till three, um, if one of the parents can, you know, take their long lunch, go pick up the kids, bring them home, cook them lunch and then bring them back. Everyone will finish up around 5.30 or 6, um, get home, relax, have dinner about 8. Um, even, you know, with little tiny kids, that's like yeah. early dinner. Yeah. Um, and the kids will stay up till midnight. You'll see kids playing on the playground at 1 in the morning. And you're like, go home. But yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, not, it's just such a different way of uh, going about things, isn't it? Doesn't that create four rush hours in the day? Like, Traffic in Barcelona yeah. is like a pain butt public transport in Barcelona is golden. I mean, the metro system is the easiest I've ever used. You pay for what you use, you know, rather than, um, you know, if you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to ride the metro that much on the third day that I'm here, I'm going to be walking around or whatever. I don't know if I can justify it. But in Barcelona, it's really simple. You have 10 rides and you just, same card, boom, boom, boom. It's really easy. Uh I mean, the thing is, like I said, traffic's a pain in the butt, but you don't ever need a car. I mean, you can walk realistically from one side of the center yeah. to the other in 45 minutes. Yeah. So what I'd love to do is talk about kind of the up and coming neighborhoods and the neighborhoods that maybe you want to skip or stay out of. Okay. Are, are there any in Barcelona, would you say? So the city, the historical city center has four neighborhoods, technically. Um, it has Barceloneta, which is the beach neighborhood, the Gothic, which is the oldest part, El Born, and Raval. Mm-hmm. And they each have their whole own vibe, okay? Um, the Gothic, of course, is the oldest. It's kind of starting to get a vibe as the most touristic spot. So mm-hmm. people are saying if you actually wanted, like, you know, a good Barcelona meal, get out of the Gothic. Um, I don't totally agree with that. I think you can definitely find places, but it is getting harder. Mm-hmm. Um, El Born is super cool. It's definitely kind of like what we call the hipster area. It's where you'll find more, like, cocktail bars and um, definitely kind of these nicer tapas places that I'm talking about. I didn't want to say anything, but that's by far my favorite neighborhood because you got these nice little posh cafes that aren't too expensive. You can get like two eggs scrambled and some toast and and a coffee and work till like 2 p.m. and then, you know, switch up spots or something. But uh, there's and then amazing tapas, cool bars. Yeah. Yeah. Bourne has it all. Um, and it's just as historically interesting as the Gothic. You know, there's like an amazing church there. Um, this is Santa Maria del Mar. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I love I it. I loved it there. Um, yeah, so I love, love Bourne. I would say as far as like up and coming, I would say Bourne is definitely the one to spend a majority of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage Rome. people to, you know, get their accommodation in the neighborhood where you're going to want to be hanging out. A lot of a lot of people might say, oh, I want to save 10 euros by, you know, staying a little farther out. But man, when, you, when you're there, your time is valuable. You don't want to be commuting in. You know, that's, you're going to spend 10 euros in and out in cabs or metros anyways, you know, so um, definitely look for a spot in, in the board. There's an important uh, thing district. to know as well as that part. Um, Barcelona metros are not all night. Mm-hmm. From Sunday until Thursday, they close at midnight. Mm-hmm. And that's really early in Barcelona. You know, mm-hmm. if you even go out for a beer with your friends, you might not be coming home till one. And it's true that cabs can get kind of pricey if you live outside the city. Yeah. Um, Does the whole culture operate on a sleep deficit? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's just not. Well, the thing is, no one really sleeps that much, but your days are kind of lazy. So it's not as if you're like up 
get to work, mm -hmm. work hard, get home, make dinner. Like nothing's like that. So I don't think you're as tired. You don't mm -hmm. need as much sleep. That's interesting. That being said, you know, even with the siesta, even with a relatively laid back atmosphere and culture, uh, Catalonia is still the most productive state in the country. Yeah. Um, Catalans have a lot of pride in what they do, um, which is really amazing. I mean, they're very, they're, like we said, they're very proud of their culture, but they're also very proud of what what they produce and, you know, what they do. And as far as the siesta does go, they're nowhere near the same as in the South. You know, they might relax a little bit and go for a coffee, but it's not like all work and play stops for hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're, they're strict about that, aren't they? Down, yeah, down well, south. It's actually funny. The city center has changed quite a bit because, of course, the tourism. You know, you can't just close your shops when there's a million people walking around wanting to go in them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. Um, let's see. And then how about tougher neighborhoods? Like, would Revol be that? You know, it has a different vibe, right? It has a way different vibe. So Revol is actually, mm, I would say, my favorite neighborhood. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's a really cool spot because you really get away from a lot of um, a lot of the tourism. Um, first of all, that's where a lot of the university students live and hang out because it's very cheap. Um, there's actually a whole street called um, Joaquin Costa, which is something I always recommend to people to go because there's a million bars and it's all Catalan students. Really? So it's huh. pretty fun, yeah. Um, and the thing is, it gets a bad rap because... It used to certainly be the most dangerous spot. Um, basically, there was pretty much, it was mostly thieves and prostitutes living there for a long time. Um, and then it changed. And a lot of the, don't get me wrong, there's still thieves and prostitutes there. <laughs> um, but it, it's not just that anymore. And everyone kind of lives cohesively. Um, I used to live there as well. I actually lived in every neighborhood. And I never felt unsafe walking home. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. You're right. It's just a different vibe, but I, I, I recommend it to people. It, it's also an up-and-coming neighborhood. There's a lot of really cool little yeah. restaurants there. The, there's the Absinthe um, Bar there. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, I think I, I know what you're talking about. Like, uh, basically, it was the only neighborhood that, that poor students could afford to move into, I'm sure. And then that, of course, creates a microeconomy around that. And then hopefully the good pushes out the bad in terms of residents. One thing that I'm always working on improving myself is it's darker in that neighborhood and, and it's right. like the danker, it just feels a little bit danker and um, kind of like the streetlights are fewer and far between. And um, as a Westerner or as an American, you kind of tend to perceive that as a bad neighborhood, but maybe it's not necessarily, they're just haven't gotten around to, to brightening up the streets yet. No, it's absolutely true. Um, it's, it's one of those places that's kind of got neglected by the city for a long time. Um, but I think that that's changing and I think that that it, we're going to actually see a big change. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we went back in 10 years if that was completely different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be because again, like, yeah, it's just gentrification 101, basically. Yeah, um, that's also a really great spot if you're interested in street art. Um, Raval has some of the best street art. In oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's amazing. Nice, nice, nice. And one thing that I love to geek out about and really talk uh, and, and look for in my travels is like examples of living culture. Um, Barcelona has a ton of like living culture. It's, it's almost tangible. Um, and like one example of that is the Sardana dances or, mm -hmm. you know, the um, uh, Sagrada Familia, for example, is an ongoing construction project that community members 
devote the last two or three years of their professional careers to, you know, stone workers and architects and engineers. Castilleros, even, you know, that's my favorite yeah, tradition. For sure. I mean, that you're right. It's so fun about Barcelona. You never know what's around the corner. I mean, you could walk into any square, any plaza, and all of a sudden see a demonstration of some kind. Um, it's really, really quite cool. Um, I love the Castellers. That is like one of the coolest, weirdest, craziest things. Um, and the Cerdanya dances as well, they do that every Sunday morning. Um, so the Castellers are human castles or human towers. Um, and basically what it is, is you know, you're in a team and it's the official Catalan sport. It's not soccer, which everyone's surprised about. <laughs> um, and what you'll do is maybe anywhere between 20 to 100 people will be the bottom layer. Um, and then maybe, let's say, 10 people in bare feet will climb up and stand on individual shoulders. And then let's say six people will do the same on top of them. And then four. And then two. And then two. And then two. And then two. All the way up. Um, it's really insane. The tallest recorded casting is 13 people high. 13 people high. Mm-hmm. And these are and they do it. These are freestanding towers. Absolutely. And they fall all the time. Yeah. It's like crazy to watch. And the craziest Bodies just falling on top of each other because they're not supported by anything besides the core yeah. strength of the person under them. It's so dangerous. And the craziest, craziest part is that, of course, you know, you want the really strong, stable guys at the bottom. Um, of course, as you go up, you want lighter, more agile people. And the lightest, most agile people are kids. <laughs> so okay. children as young as four participate in the Castellers and climb up these huge heights. Jeez. And it's, it's insane. Yeah. And um, do you know anything about the music that they play while they go up? I actually don't. Well, uh, every Castier competition that I've seen, each team has its own little band. And it's like a, uh, a little reed instrument, maybe some old school little bongo drums or something, and maybe another wind instrument. Um, it, it sounds distinctly like medieval, almost, if you can imagine. And um, it's my theory that, you know, they're playing as it goes up, and the whole time it's coming up and down, going up and coming down. Right. And it always switched just as the person up top raised her little hand, you know, the little girl at the top, you know, being the the flag. And so it's my theory that that tune change is meant to tell the team, okay, you're almost there, you know, keep keep it up because they're coming down and we can't collapse. So the guys at the bottom obviously can't see what's above them. But as soon as they hear the music change, they know, okay, just a few more seconds as everybody comes back down, right? smart so i think that's what it is but um anyways (laughs) well hey lauren thank you so much for joining me i think we will wrap it up there well um happy travels buen viaje or buen viaje buen viaje you got it buen viaje and uh and buena suerte Thanks again for listening. Find all show details, links, and tips at andysteves.com. You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Happy travels.